Being distracted can be very bad. There are now sections of interstate that are called reduced or distraction zones. They're trying to keep us from texting and texting and all the stuff that goes with it. Lots of ways to be distracted while you're driving, talking on the phone, eating, drinking, <laughs> talking, nodding off. We know better, but we still do it. I had my English teacher in my senior year in high school was commenting about the fact that in the morning people will wave at her and she doesn't respond. And her response to that was, well, what do they expect? people on that night. Okay. I'm hearing voices. Uh, anybody else hearing those voices? Yeah, that's right. You should have said no. No one's hearing it but you. Uh, but anyway, um, Thank you. she said, what do they expect? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm driving. I'm smoking my cigarette. I'm drinking my coffee. I'm putting my makeup on. What, what, you know, how in the world do they expect me to wave at them at the same time? Distracted driving. Been around for a long time. During World War II, uh, the Allies went to great effort to distract the Germans and, on D-Day to keep them from discerning exactly where and when the invasion was going to happen, even though they knew it was imminent. Um, in sports, you know, there's fakes, you know, would go this way and make people think you're going this way, then go this way, and, and all of that. And even, if, even sometimes it's entertaining. Uh, go, go see a magician and sleight of hand, and they're trying to get you to think and look someplace else while they're doing something else. Harmless entertainment, but... Being distracted is one of the primary tools of our enemy, Satan. Satan is the father of lies, and he is really, really good at getting us distracted. You see, if we can be maneuvered, manipulated, led, tricked into focusing on something other than Jesus, Jesus' plan what's on Jesus' heart, then Satan is one. No, uh, no matter how good or noble or even right the cause or the idea or the movement might be, when we devote our time, energy, and money, and loyalty to something other than Jesus, we've been distracted. Distraction is a bad thing. It really is. This morning we're going to look at a very brief parable that Jesus used to try to keep us from being distracted when it comes to the second coming. Jesus came the first time in humility as the suffering, dying Savior to address the deep, eternal issues of sin and being alienated from God. He came to seek and to save the lost. He promised that he would return, that he would come a second time, and we call it the second coming. In John chapter 14, Jesus is encouraging disciples after telling them about Peter's denial and about his death and, and uh, all of that at the... Uh, Last Supper, he says this. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Just as an aside, and, and I understand as you do that God is not limited by time. God does not operate in time like we operate in time. But just for the, the, the fun of it. The triune God created all that we see in six literally, literal 24-hour days. Six days. Jesus has been at work preparing something for over 2,000 years. Is it any wonder why we are told that we can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like? But he says, I'm, I'm going to come back. And it was meant to encourage the disciples so that they would not be distracted by the bad news of his betrayal and death. Three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus uses the little parable of the fig tree or plants, trees. We're going to be focusing our primary attention on the account in Matthew 24. I would ask that you open up your Bible, that you turn your device on, you scroll, and we're also going to have it on the screens. Uh, and we're going to stand as I read for us Matthew 24, verses 30 through 45. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Please be seated. Father, we invite your Spirit to be our teacher. 
We ask, Lord, that we would understand what Jesus was talking about. That we, Father, would be able, in a healthy, positive, biblically correct way, apply it to our own hearts and lives today. I pray that you would protect these dear people from an interpretation that is incorrect, that I might have, or an application that's inappropriate. Father, we're talking about a, a, a topic that is uh, hotly debated, lots of controversy, lots of different opinions. Help us not to miss what Jesus was trying to communicate. We thank you, Father, for your word and for your spirit. We humbly invite your spirit to do whatever we need. Comfort us, challenge us, correct us, convict us. Whatever it is, Father, have your way in our hearts and lives. We will be grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. In the three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of this particular event, the disciples have pointed out to Jesus the beauty of the temple buildings. And Jesus says to them, that whole thing is going to be torn down. Not one stone will be upon another. Now, those are shocking words to these Jewish men. The temple was the center of their religious and political life. That prediction was fulfilled in A.D. 70. The Romans came in and just did their thing at Jerusalem. Total devastation. Jesus, in answering or responding, rather, to their sense of the beauty of the building and the focus on the building says don't do that it's going to be destroyed well in verse four i'm sorry verse um, three uh, the disciples came to him privately and said when will this happen what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age Jesus answers them. But he's not just talking about the temple being destroyed. His verbiage is much grander, much, much, much broader. And so what Jesus is doing, he's answering their question about the temple and about its destruction. But he's saying, but that's not all. There's more that you need to be aware of. And he proceeds to give a whole bunch of indicators of when this would happen. They're called signs. It's interesting to me that the signs that Jesus gives are pretty common things. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. There's been a very short period in the history of recorded history of humans, where, where there isn't somebody somewhere on the planet fighting a war. The United States fought in 13 wars. Interesting mental exercise, if you can remember the 
the 13. Now, don't spend the rest of the time trying to figure that out, okay? Ask Siri when the service is over. War's a common thing. Rumors of war's a common thing. Natural disasters? Constantly. Fires. Drought. Blizzards. Earthquakes. Tsunamis. Hurricanes. Typhoons, if you're in the Pacific. Tornadoes. I mean, they're just constant. So... I don't know how to answer that question. I don't, I don't have a good explanation of, of why those things are so common and Jesus is using them as something to draw your attention to, except this. Could it be that Jesus is saying, I'm going to come. The passage tells us you will never know when. And if you think you know when, you are wrong. And so he gives correction. He gives guidance in the midst of the unknown. From where we sit, there is nothing biblical that's keeping Jesus Christ from returning the second time in power and glory other than his patience that there are individuals who will come to faith and who will bend the knee and trust Christ as Savior, and he's giving them time to do that. That is the only thing, biblically, that is keeping Christ from returning. Everything's poised. We call that the imminent return of Christ. It can be at any time. Be careful about saying Jesus is going to come back soon because what does soon mean? And remember that, that God doesn't operate with time the way we operate. But in this teaching, there are three clear instructive statements by Jesus. Those we can learn from. The first is don't be deceived in verse 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. There's going to be people throughout history, and it has happened, who will claim that they are the Messiah. Jesus says, no, don't listen to them. It's not true. I'm the Messiah. I don't think that's as much a challenge for us today as it might be in other parts of the world, and it might be at the time of Christ. However, the idea that people come and say, I represent the Messiah. I have a message from God. God has shared with me something new and different that no one else has seen at this point, and I'm going to tell you what that is. Be very, very careful of someone who does that. Regardless of how successful they are, how big their churches are, how dynamic they are in their preaching and teaching, you see, each of you need to live up 
to the name Bereans. In which when you hear something, according to Acts 17.11, they, the Bereans, received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. You should be evaluating what I say, what any other pastor says, what any big-time television radio preacher says, what any author says. Go back to the book and be a diligent student of the Scripture so that you will not be deceived. Let me give you an example. I think one of the greatest false teachings of our day, not just in North America, it has permeated the world, is what is called prosperity theology. It's the teaching that God wants you to be successful, to make a lot of money, to be healthy, your relationships to work. And if it isn't happening, it's because you have enough enough faith. But if you will listen to me and follow me and, 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 and do what I say, then you are going to have lots of money and your life is going to be really good. That is not taught in the Bible. In fact, the opposite is taught. Jesus said you're going to suffer. People are going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. Jesus said foxes have homes and holes. That I don't have anything. Follow me and you're going to be like me. Be very careful of prosperity teaching. Think about that for a second. What's the focus of that idea? You, the individual, is the focus. The focus isn't Jesus. Join up with us and your life is going to be so much more physically, financially successful. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. So when someone says, I'm speaking for God, don't be deceived. You see, deceit leads to disillusionment. Well, they said this is going to happen, and it hasn't happened. Something's wrong. Well, no, God didn't say that. Somebody claiming to be a representative of God claimed it. Don't be deceived. The second very... clear exhortation is in verse 42. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. Now, notice what he says. Because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Beloved, You do not know when Jesus is going to return, and you cannot know. It is unknowable. And if you spend your time and energy and effort trying to discern when Jesus is coming back, you are wasting your time. You have been distracted, I believe, by the enemy off on a tangent that Jesus says is a waste of time. I came to faith, and and, and I'm grateful for my spiritual heritage. But I I sat under teaching of of people uh, like this. They they showed 
some kind of proof that Russians were accumulating horses for their cavalry. And, and why is that important? Because the book of Revelation talks about horses and warfare. And so if they're Gog and Magog, and they've they got to have a lot of horses. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, you know, and the locusts or helicopters and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and it's just a waste of time. It's a distraction. If the enemy can get you to focus your time and energy and effort and spend money on that kind of thing, on something that Jesus absolutely without debate says you don't know don't be distracted but he says keep watch keep watch this is a watchfulness that reflects hope this is the idea that i'm not just oh it'd be great if this happened it's going to happen because jesus said it was and notice what he says in verse 35 heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away Jesus is coming again. He's going to come in power and glory. Wouldn't it be grand if he came in the next five seconds? I, I remember being a college student around a bunch of Bible college students getting ready to graduate, and everybody said, well, I hope Jesus comes, but, but can I get married first? And what they really mean is, can I legitimately have sex before Jesus comes? Because I don't want to miss that. Uh, you know, so we get distracted. Don't, don't, don't worry about the time. You don't know the time. But keep watch. Keep, keep be, be aware that we have more information. We understand that there's going to come a time where we will be reunited with those who know Christ. We grieve differently, 1 Thessalonians 4. Years ago, Sue and I were um, planning a vacation, and a missionary lived in our community, part of our church, said, hey, can we use your house? We have a mission, some missionaries coming, and, and they need a place to stay, and they're going to be here for several days, and, and it would be really, oh, sure, use our house. Great, no problem. Love to have you there. And we're going to be gone from here to here, and, and, and okay. Well, for some reason, we decided that we were going to drive straight back. We weren't going to spend the night in a motel. And we were going to arrive at home about 3 in the morning, and, and our intention was to go and spend the night in my office at the church. It's before the alarm system. Uh, and... Uh, and, but we were just going to stop by the house and make sure everything was okay. So we pull in to our driveway, and the doors are wide open. Every light in the place is on. This is kind of funny. Uh, we walk into the, to the, the house, and, and it, it, there were pizza boxes and half-drunk stuff and wrappers over here, and there was evidence of a dog running around. Uh, it was like the rapture had taken place. And we're, do we miss it? Uh, where are all these people? I mean, uh, the TVs were blaring. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. And we walked around and we kind of figured, okay, they're in the, they're in to the two upstairs bedrooms. We're not going to knock on the door at 3 o'clock. And, and we left. We turned out the lights, turned off the TV, shut the doors, and we went to my office. We got there early. 
Now, I am confident because when we went back, the place was clean. We, we, we showed back at the house when they were expecting us to be at the house and the place was clean. But understand, they weren't watching. They weren't ready for the homeowner to return. And they demonstrated a gross misuse of our home. I mean, it was, who knows what, people could have walked in and walked out with anything they wanted. They weren't watching. Jesus is saying, keep watching, because you don't know when I'm going to return. He says, don't be deceived, keep watch, and then he says, be ready. Verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. When you think he's coming, you're wrong. You're not going to expect him to come now. He reinforces this idea that you don't know when I'm coming. So don't allow people to deceive you in the meantime. Keep watch and be ready. What does it mean to be ready? Jesus is talking to disciples. He's talking to people who are following him. My assumption is that most of you this morning have trusted Christ as your Savior. You have humbled yourself and acknowledged your need for a sinner, and you have put your confidence completely and only in Jesus Christ. Well, he's talking more than that. He's talking to his disciples, to us, and he's saying, I want you to be ready. What does being ready look like? Over the years, I've had the, the privilege, and it's fun, I just really enjoy doing it, of, of being part of ordination councils. It's kind of a strange little thing, but I just find it incredibly uh, interesting. And every ordination council I've ever been part of, I ask this question to the person who's being interviewed. What is the point of the second coming. What difference does the teaching of the second coming have in your day-to-day -day living? And it will surprise you that most men who are students of the word, students of theology, most of them seminary graduates, years of demonstrating their calling of God, they don't have an answer for that. They look at me like, really? Uh, 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 I, and one particular time I remember vividly one of the, one of the other council members uh, looked at me and said do you have an answer for your question and, and I said hopefully with appropriately and in a healthy way uh, I was probably a little sarcastic which is not good but uh, I said of course I do it's in Peter 2 Peter chapter 3 gives you the answer to that question. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, Peter is talking about the second coming. What kind of people ought you to be? What, kind of, what does this theological truth, this biblical teaching of Christ coming in power and glory, what, what, how kind of people should you be? And he answers the question. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. The point of the second coming 
is that you and I, as Christ followers, would live holy and godly lives. See a picture up there. Uh, up uh, on uh, Hanley Road, I've been noticing this on the road, and I was trying to figure out what it meant, and until the signs actually came up, uh, that means no edge line, okay, and there's other messages spray painted on the road, and they're going to do some, they're resurfacing the road, obviously, uh, I'm really sharp, why don't I figure that out, uh, but I didn't know what OUPS means, and it means Ohio Utilities Protection Service. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the state of Ohio actually has a whole division where they pay people to do this kind of thing, and then they put these signs up simply so you will be puzzled by the signs? And that you will spend time and energy trying to discern what the signs mean? You really think that's why they're doing it? They're thinking you're bored and you need something to kind of stimulate your, your mind, and so they, they, they've got these puzzles on the road now. No! They want you to see the sign and act differently with intelligence and knowledge and slow down and all that kind of stuff. Road work ahead, all those things. Do you think that the signs Jesus talked about are simply there so that you will be intrigued and that you will want to figure it out? No, it's there so that you will be aware that he's going to keep his word. He is going to come again in power and glory. Don't be deceived. Be watchful and be ready. This is a lifelong transformation for any of us who truly know Jesus Christ. A few months ago, in an effort to develop better communication and understanding among the, the, the senior leadership team here at Berean, we all took a test called the DISC, D-I-S-C. And if you're into management and things like that, you've probably had one of these DISC tests. And we brought somebody in who knew what they were talking about and explained it to us. And, uh, and I've taken it many times. But when I read the material this time, a word stuck out at me that was a descriptive term of me. And the word was blunt. And that hit me like a two before. Really? I come across blunt. People perceive me as being blunt. And I mulled that over, and I reread the stuff, and I started praying about it and thinking about it. And then I go to the Philippines with a totally different culture, and I realize I'm terribly blunt. I, I don't see blunt as a good thing, necessarily. And, and what's happened and what's happening, I'm not there yet, please, I'm, I'm really a work in progress. But I was reminded that as a Christ follower, God the Holy Spirit lives within me. Imagine that. God the Holy Spirit lives within every single genuine believer. And we are told that the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, there are nine different demonstrations 
of the Spirit in a person. Now, what is fruit? Fruit is the natural, healthy demonstration of what is there. You don't get surprised when an apple tree produces apples. Or a grapevine produces grapes, or a tomato plant produces tomato. What's supposed to happen for me is that as I live in humble obedience and dependence upon God, it's not a self-help project. I have to cooperate. I have to be involved to be sure. But it, it is, that, is that the fruit of the Spirit should be demonstrated. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. Now, which of those nine things is blunt? Being convicted, trying to be cooperative with the Spirit of God, I remind myself many times during the day in fact, for a long time, uh, I was giving myself a daily test because I had trouble remembering the nine. I'm, I'm way too old to, to be, this is like, this is grade school stuff here. I should be, I should be a lot farther along than I am. But, but just reminding me, and then, and then saying, okay, am, am I being gentle? Am I being patient? Am I being good? Am I being kind? Am I loving? Am, do I have joy? Am I, am I helping people to see that? See, that's the fruit of the Spirit, not being blunt. Now, i got a long ways to go, and uh, in the first service, I made a comment uh, at the end of the message, and somebody came up with, a, with a, a great heart and a smile and said, you know, when you said this, blah, 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 that was an illustration of being blunt, and it was like, you're right. I just talked about that, and I violated it. Uh, inconsistent, to be sure. But you see, I think that's what it means to be ready. is to be open to what God wants to do in your heart and life to get you more like Jesus. In a very real way. In a practical, touch people's lives down and dirty way. Don't get caught up in the signs. They're there. The parable is, look at a plant, look at a tree. As it starts to get green, as it starts to bud, you know summer's on the way. Well, look around you. All the things that we see every day in the news are there. Look around you. That's a heads up. Jesus is going to return. 
We don't know when. Don't make that the focus. Make the focus on not being deceived, watching with hope, and being ready. And being ready is a lifelong heart attitude of conscious dependence upon the Spirit of God to become more like Jesus in every arena of your life. Jesus said, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Read Matthew 24. Quietly, personally, and invite the Spirit of God to enable you by your study of the Word of God not to be deceived. To enable you by the presence of, uh, of the truth that Jesus Christ is going to keep his word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That you, that you are watching with hope and that you are ready. And being ready is a process. And we all have room to grow. Father, thank you for your word, for its relevance, for its life transformational clarity. Lord, if there are any here this morning who do not know you, they are not ready. Remove the blinders from their eyes. Draw them to yourself. Help them, Lord, to trust you. And then for those of us who know you, help us not to become complacent and help us, Lord, not to be distracted. And Lord, that would be for our good and ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you.